This is RAF with Tony Tone and LA. <laughs> Yo, what's up? It's your boy, LA, aka the Love Ambassador, coming to you straight live and direct from the Jungle Studios. Uh, it's been a very tough week in hip hop uh, culture uh, with the passing of Nipsey Hussle, uh, a very, very talented MC, but also a leader within not only his own community, but, but within hip hop as well. Uh, it's unfortunately been a bad year, uh, where you know a lot of the young the young rappers have have, have died as well. Um, and also, I think that you know, with hip hop culture, people still talk about your biggies and parks, and you know, even for me, being a big influence was Big L uh, himself dying in 1999. So, what I really wanted to do on this podcast was. I guess kind of ask the question because we sort of touched base on a lot of different things in, in the previous podcast from, uh, you know, record contracts to, <laughs> you know, pick up lines and whatnot. But I love hip hop culture. I always have its, uh, you know, the elements like breakdancing, uh, graffiti, beatboxing, uh, MC, uh, DJing, like, you know, like when you watch people like Grandmaster Flash and whatever, but because of my love of hip hop, you always hear about essentially like the ghetto or hood America. Um, and it's not to say that it would necessarily influence directly, uh, for example, like, you know, white Europeans or uh, South Americans or. Uh, Chinese that are breaking directly, but there's still kind of this weird awareness that you've been knowing what's going on, but no one has seemingly kind of asked the question of how did how did Ghetto America become Ghetto America, and then how is it in a situation where there's uh, jealousy and there's resentment and then there's anger and then there's murder and frustration and and venting so i'm going to try and do this as quickly as possible um covering hundreds of years of history but hopefully by the end you have an appreciation of the frustration of a community which has really along with uh, sort of the puerto ricans um and certain individuals from the white community as well and other nationalities created something which which all of us really enjoy and, and and prosper from and at times emulate as well so uh yeah how did we how did ghetto america become uh what was the history behind it and you know let's shed some light on it so we all know about slavery uh happening to the african-americans uh they were brought over as slaves from predominantly West Africa. Uh, 
into the south, uh, and then the south they were used in the cotton fields to pick cotton, and then the cotton was sent to England for the textile industry to make clothes and whatnot, and then goods were sent from England back down into West Africa, or Europe back down into West Africa, hence setting up the triangle. The first slaves that hit uh, America were in 1619, actually uh, from the Dutch, where the Dutch originally had uh, New York as a colony. Uh, and then it went all the way through uh, through independence, you know, July 4th, 1776 of America when they became an independent country from the British colonies, all the way through to December 18th, 1865 with the 13th Amendment. Now, slavery in theory after the Civil War should have ended, but what you will find and what's actually common within even with uh, sort of the Dick Cheney and, and George Bush operation or every, other things in, in life, the law becomes very, very important. So what happened was that they introduced the 13th Amendment where they said, we'll ban slavery, but if you're convicted of a crime, then basically it's exactly the same thing. So what happened was after that was introduced... Uh, all the southern, well, the, predominantly the southern states in particular, were like, oh, well, okay, well, let's just introduce laws because we already rule the courts, we rule the government, you know, there's no uh, African Americans that are elected, so we can pass whatever laws we want. So that basically was called black code, so it was in terms of sort of vagrancy or just, just trumped up charges. And what was happening was it became relatively quite easy to arrest um, African-American people within within the South. And then once they were in the penal system, then, it, again, it was the basically sort of free free labour or, or a minimal amount of labour. So then if you become a free man, then, then what happens? Well, in the South, the land was still owned by, obviously, the whites. So there was a concept of sharecropping, but sharecropping would be... Basically, you have your little bit of land, but you're still indebted to the major landowners. And then when it came to things like um, uh, rights of voting, it was very hard to get the rights of voting. When it came to schooling, it was hard to get schooling. When it came to, in particular, finance to buy the, um, the land, there was no finance available. There was no insurance available. Uh, and then... We see coming in towards the late 1800s what was known as the Jim Crow laws. Now, Jim Crow came from, apparently, look, I don't know, but apparently from the Jump Jim Crow, which was a blackface character. Now, blackface was basically, as crazy as it sounds, like white people <laughs> painting their face black and then making almost caricatures of black people was is essentially a comedy for whites during the time. So the Jim Crow laws come in, then you've got the economic, education, social disadvantage. On top of that, you've got the rise of the Ku Klux Klan um, within the millions, and then that reign of terror as well. So you have a period where the people aren't actually free, because if you're not arrested on some trumped-up charge, well, then you've got no real money to run the land, and then on top of that, you're literally, you know, in the small towns in particular, getting getting lynched. I mean, apart from loving hip-hop, I've done, obviously, podcasts and blues music as well, and the, said that the blues musicians were the men that survived the lynching in the South and lived to kind of tell the tale. Uh, so... 
because of that, uh, that wasn't just for one or two years. That was for almost close to 100 years that this whole entire system was in place, right? So you basically never really received the freedom that you were promised to have. It was just slavery, but just in a more, more different legal type of way of doing it. Then what happened was you see on a... Around July 2nd, 1964, 1965, civil rights movements, civil rights bills are passed, and then that starts the process of desegregation, right? Now, mind you, this is now like essentially hundreds and hundreds of years uh, behind uh, your white counterpart. Then you see within that period also uh, riots starting within Watson 1965 and Detroit 1967, which was caused by sort of social upheaval. You see also the Vietnam War taking place. In the Vietnam War, there's 12.6% of the soldiers fighting were blacks. So then a lot of the poor blacks were enlisted into fighting into the Vietnam War. It was also a period of great social upheaval. Um, there are sort of things to do with like uh, government agencies and, and things that you know, still probably to this day is a bit risky but to talk about. But it's safe to say that people like not only the Black Panthers but also communist parties um, and other parties that weren't the mainstream of what uh, predominantly white America wanted to have was, was targeted. And, and at the same time, if you as a government want to keep the status quo, you're going to do everything that you can do. So during that period, there was there was enormous amount of not only literally a huge war going on with the Vietnam War, but don't forget the threat of communism. So that was a genuine a genuine fear. Um, it wasn't like you know you turn on the TV and you, well maybe tomorrow it might happen. It was it was a general fear within all forms of the society. You also saw um, the white flight, so then you saw the suburban America starting to take place as well. So people were leaving the inner cities, uh, for example, the Bronx in New York. And then you also saw the targeting within the black community of things like, uh, again, like mortgage insurance, uh, redlining, um, the acceptance of where you can and you can't live. What was actually interesting is I went to, to Memphis to, to where Dr. King was assassinated and they had um, had pictures of all of the main cities with like the where the African American community lived before and after the civil rights movement and then nothing really kind of changed, right? It's just that the demographics like because the demographics you saw, like essentially, like the white people and to, to certain individuals of, of, of minority communities, also moving out as well. But then, so the 60s and 70s, you see this this huge um, change within the the society of movement, and then because of that, the the, the movement of jobs, right? So the jobs and the factories shut down, and then We'll get onto it later with sort of industrialization. And the 70s economically was very difficult, and then you go into the 80s, which was crack cocaine. Now, crack cocaine is uh, was a highly, highly addictive drug, and what it did was it flooded within uh, ghetto America, and the the extreme violence that we 
that we see is is and, and that we hear about with like NWA, for example, or you know, a lot of the nineties hip hop is is from that era. You know, I mean, even with Biggie from Brooklyn, for example, you know, Bed Stuy. So that era is not only an enormous amount of people, obviously taking the drugs, but the profitability for the the profitability for the drug dealers um, was insane. I mean, Freeway Rick Ross in, in Los Angeles was millions. And that's where we started to see the the gangs get more more organised and, 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 and better armed because of the money that they have. And that's where you saw an increase, a huge increase within the homicide rate as well. I mean, it was uh, they were looking at 2018 study, and there was a doubling of doubling of murders, and the murder rate was still 70% higher 17 years after the supposed crack epidemic had ended. So what was happening was it was just going through the absolute roof in terms of homicide because it was a turf war because the money was so profitable. And again, when you think about it, the demographics of the people because they were basically stuck there and then uh, on top of that you have a, a historic legacy of not only racism but access to sort of again finance education uh health care jobs work also within the 80s and, and 90s you start to see the globalization of economies it's, it's in particular after the fall of communism and you know late 89 through to sort of early 90s and then you see a lot of jobs going overseas to take advantage of a cheaper labour. So whether that was China or if that was India or, you know, Turkey or, you know, wherever that may be. Um, then also the, the the people that were already struggling with their bare minimum jobs were losing it. You know, like people would stop buying um, in Detroit like American cars. I started buying Toyotas and Mazdas and everything like that. So that changed it. Then on top of that, with uh, the jobs leaving, problem with access to your daily means, there was also mandatory sentencing. So, for example, five grams of cocaine, you would need 500 grams, sorry, five grams of crack cocaine, you would need the equivalent of 500 grams of cocaine. So it was 100 to 1. So basically what was happening, that you would get five years for five grams of crack cocaine, or five years of 500 grams of cocaine. So it was also targeting the poorer communities. In fact, in 2012, there was 88% of the all the people related to being arrested for crack cocaine were actually African-American. Um, then also you look in terms of poverty. So 22% of the African-American community still lives in poverty. Uh, in 2016, they were considered worse off than they were in 2000, again coming back because a lot of the jobs and the lower paying wages were moving, but again, also from the sort of systematic troubles that they were that they were facing. And then it comes to the point also with the back to hip hop culture, because it's the image. So, you know, it started off in 1973 in the Bronx, DJ Cool Herc, towards sort of the 80s, like, you know, the golden era towards the late 80s, early 90s was a lot of um, positive messages and empowerment and everything like that, like A Tribe Called Quest, for example, um, Rakim, Eric B and Rakim, you know, and other artists like that. And then you see within the 90s, almost like a, 
a highlight of kind of ghetto America, but still, you know, quite individual notions of what was going on. And then now you're seeing the introduction of mumble rap, but the introduction of mumble rap is, you know, still reinforcing a lot of negative stereotypes for, for African-American culture. So when it comes to um, violence and issues and how the community is portrayed, and in particular because it's important for many people because that African-American community is the main driver of hip-hop culture as we know it and, and will, will, forever, will forever be. So it's important to understand the troubles faced because at least have an appreciation of, of you know, you might not be able to change the world, but try and sort of show more love <laughs> to your brothers and sisters. Uh, because like I said, I mean, even within sort of 16 minutes, you're looking at hundreds of years where nothing's really gone your way at all. You know, even your wages today are less than what you were earning, you know, 16, 17 years ago. Uh, so, yeah, look, appreciate you taking the time, but once again, rest in peace, Nipsey Hussle. And like I said, I just wanted to take an opportunity for, to really, I guess, ask the question um, and give an overview of how how there was never really a break for, for that, that community at all. There was never a moment of, even during the times of Motown, <laughs> you know, there was never really a moment of true peace. So the world's getting harder and harder and tougher and tougher, but, you know, I guess we always got to be optimistic and at least have education. So if I can touch even one person and think, oh, damn, like, shit's been fucking real for the next couple of, last couple of hundred years, like, I need to take that into account and, you know, try and put that extra 5% in, uh, in uplifting those that, those that are doing it tough, and uh, maybe if, maybe if we can uh, teach the youth, you know, in a better way, then we won't be losing so many of our uh, our loved ones within the culture. Ah, uh, well, peace. <laughs>